No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Hey, everybody. Thanks for finding us here at the Sound Logic Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. And today we're discussing album number 20. Today we're discussing album number 34 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. This is Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder. Um, This is an album that we have looked at before. Uh, When we reviewed it the last time on the 2012 list, it was at number 24. It's fallen 10 spots to number 34. And interestingly, uh, it was the first Stevie Wonder album that we got to on that list. and it has been leapfrogged, I guess you could say, by Songs in the Key of Life, an album that used to be 57 and is now all the way up to number four. Um, so it's kind yeah. of weird now to go through this 2020 list and to have them in reverse order and almost sort of forgot we already talked about Songs in the Key of Life a second time. We did those reviews fairly close because, right. <laughs> you know, 57 and then 60, we had a new list come out right after that. And so... Felt fairly close yeah, to we started over. to have uh, both the original review and then the the uh, intro to that, and now we're getting all the way back to Intervisions. You know, almost a couple of years later after we <laughs> we talked about it the right. first time. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to revisit this uh, episode. This was really my first taste of Stevie a Stevie Wonder album, more than just like the the big singles right. that yeah that uh, knew. And I think you were kind of in the same boat. Yeah, uh, this was my first foray into a Stevie Wonder album. Um, I'm not sure if we talked about this. We may have on our original review, and and of course, uh, if you're familiar, you know we'll uh, we'll talk for a few minutes, and then we'll play you our original review of this album. But before. When we started this project, my my good friend uh, Rob Jones, who we've had on on the show before for Nirvana, said, you know, my parents have a lot of albums, you know, Mm -hmm. in a bunch of crates. We should go through them. And I just got a record player. So uh, we went through them. And um, there were a few Stevie Wonders Stevie Wonder albums and I don't think we'd done Intervisions yet so they had that and I grabbed I was like this is coming up and they had um, uh, Mm -hmm. Talking Book which is one we haven't reviewed yet but I think it comes up later and so later on, we went, you know, a few days, like we, I grabbed a handful of them and, and we went and we listened. He's like, I want to listen to Stevie Wonder albums. So we listened to Talking Book and this. So I guess that was okay. my first listen. But Intervisions, I came back to and and went went through a bunch of times. And I was kind of... When you know an artist from like a few things they've done, you know, like, Isn't She Lovely? And I just called, you know, like this stuff I'd heard on the radio growing up, but then you get immersed into this album. (laughs) It was like, I had no idea he was all these things. And of course, getting into uh, Songs in the Key of Life, which is also another Mm -hmm. just masterpiece and a huge album, like a double album plus an EP. Um, It's just crazy. But I think that the opening track on this just kind of i felt like i was in another yeah. dimension right away like uh with with too too high it's just like uh, whoa this is stevie wonder this is right. this is this album and the album is very diverse more than just that but uh to me that was like okay yeah. put on the seatbelt <laughs> here we go <laughs> um but you 
I, I wanted to jump back to you because this has become one of your very favorites. And I'm curious, uh, is this now you really, really liked it and say that your top 10, is it one that you keep putting on um, throughout the yeah, last couple I of years? Yeah, I think that I um, have warmed even, I was surprised to find Songs in the Key of Life was just as good, uh, only much lower in the 2012 ranking. And I think because we got to that one right. second, I have listened to that one more. Um, uh, okay. Being yep. sort of that it's bigger and has a bit more content there, more to yeah. digest. Um, but man, every time I go back to Intervisions and press play, including tonight, I am just swept away right away. And I think it is that opening track that, that really draws you in. We oh. talked, um, I don't remember if it was this review or the songs in the key of life review about how much of the music is just him on his keyboard you know there's that incredible bass line right. with too high that's just him you know tinkling on the the keys it's not a, a bass actually um going wild there and um so yeah there's some really great stuff going on here i'm curious to see uh you know looking ahead to our next re-ranking where this one falls for me i don't I, it was sort of like an easy pick at number one the first time we heard it. And now I'm wondering, like, I really got to do some serious soul searching on on how this fits with the other Stevie Wonder album. I love them both. Um, but but uh, but I don't know how they fit into a top 10 necessarily. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm sort of resistant to put too many Beatles albums, for instance, in the same group of 10. So, like, how many Stevie Wonder <laughs> albums should I also have? Um, but... To be honest, I think, you know, this is an album I picked up on vinyl, both of them. And um, and they right, are, right, right, right. you know, when I'm in the mood to put on a record and I don't know which one to put on, I will often reach for a Stevie Wonder album. I also picked up Talking Book along the way somewhere as well. And so I've got three oh, okay. that <laughs> feature fairly frequently in my small collection of records. And so, yeah, it, it I, I don't know. I've become... Uh, wrapped up in what he produced in this era of his life and uh yeah it'll be fun to it'll be fun to revisit this review and and to see how my thoughts were yeah. back then and see what i've held on to and what's maybe changed a little bit i we could go down the same rabbit holes we did when we reviewed it but uh, we'll <laughs> refrain from doing that but i will ask one question do you have any ideas or hypothesis as to why songs in the key of life has jumped up so high in the rankings and yet intervisions has dropped down a bit why why wouldn't they both move up or why wouldn't they move up respectively any any ideas on that i have no idea i i wonder if it has something to do with uh scope of the songs in the key of life project that it took you know a couple of years to create it's supposed to sort of encapsulate the human experience um you know it was like right what was the number it was something crazy like 120 songs that were pared down to this double album plus a <laughs> plus a bonus disc right. um i wonder if it's just that the sort of grandeur it also corresponded with him signing the big deal to come back to uh, Motown Records. I, I wonder if it just has more lore around it, whereas Intervisions may be just as good and maybe arguably a better single album than sort of perhaps some of the extra stuff that was put on Songs in the Key of Life. Although, man, that for as far as double albums go, I 
I don't see much fluff there. <laughs> uh, that's my hypothesis. I don't, I don't. It's not a genre that I'm super familiar with, and so I've kind of been surprised by how much I've been swept up in it. I bet someone, um, our guests so far who've talked about Stevie Wonder would include Lynn Fidmont, who sang with Stevie, and um, and my friend yeah. uh, Reverend wow. yeah. Carol Thomas Sissel here in town. I'm guessing both of them, you know, they grew up with his music. They probably have a better sense of of why that would be. Um, but I remember both of them kind of gushing just about his catalog in general, almost like they couldn't pick a favorite. Yes. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's interesting to take an artist like that with this massive loved catalog and say one yes. of these is better than the other. That's a good point. And I felt with both of those guests that it, it almost felt like they, they were... Uh, feeling restricted in talking about yeah. just that album like we had yeah. to keep kind of bringing yeah. them back to, not not in a in a kind of oppressive way but but we were trying like uh they kept just wandering into all the great things stevie has done which i i have no problem with at all and i think it's a testament to to how great his catalog is i think generally they were specifically going to things in this as you mentioned ben yeah. in this era yeah. where he was releasing just you know those kind of four albums in a row that were just huge so um I, the only guess i have about i think that as we look at this list and the people who voted on this new list um a lot more uh younger contemporary artists and i think we've seen some of his songs permeate mm -hmm. pop culture maybe a little more like um uh just i think we hear it more yeah. in general than the intervention stuff uh some major songs like um you know in the 90s uh uh, Gangster right. Paradise, which was you know just just a straight lift of uh, of Pastime Paradise, and I wish you know was used in the mm -hmm. Will Smith song, The Wild Wild West, which was you know kind of a blockbuster. Uh, wasn't a great, great movie, but <laughs> right, <laughs> big single right. from the movie. And I think there's been other ones too. You know, some other obviously other huge hits on this album, but I think they've just uh, blended into pop culture and therefore influencing our new pop artists more yeah. i yeah. think that might be why maybe it's front of mind and if you're if you're hmm, i've got to pick 50 albums for this list i think if you're like me uh there's maybe a few albums that come to mind right away and then you start going to artists okay all right, I got to put a Stevie. Oh, Stevie Wonder album. Okay, well, it's Songs of the Key of Life. Okay, I'm going to pick a, a Beatles album. Well, it's this one. You know, I think if it comes down to it and they're picking one, obviously that's the one they went mm -hmm. to. So mm -hmm. I could see that. Yeah. I could yeah. see that. Um, in some ways, when we when we did it the first time and we got to Songs of the Key of Life, we were both asking the opposite question then. Why is Songs of the Key of Life so much right, further down right. the list? Yeah. Than in than inner visions like they're both very mm -hmm. very good so we were and, and i think in our discussion with lynn uh for that review we were going seems quite <laughs> yeah, low doesn't right. it <laughs> well i guess that was that was remedied in, in yeah. the new list so anyways um anything else to add before we move on to the review ben just one other note i think it's kind of fascinating with um uh, are you experienced at number 30 kind of blue at 31 and now here intervisions at 34. These are three prominent, um, uh, African-American artists who've all been bumped down on the list, uh, hmm. significantly down in a couple of cases, um, sort of going against the grain, I guess a little bit of, uh, what early on in the list felt like 
you know, black artists were getting lifted up. We suddenly have three kind of close in here that are, that are all nudged down for some strange reason. Well, I, I hear that. I guess the balance is in this same group of 10 right now, we have, we just did Beyonce's Lemonade at 32. She wasn't on the list. We've mm-hmm. got uh, Michael Jackson's Off the Wall, which is up about 30 spots. We've got yep. Dr. Dre's uh, The Chronic at 37 which is up about 100 spots. So I think and the the I, I will add one more thing those albums you mentioned that have bumped down th- have made way the, the room they've made is for a lot of other as you said artists uh, yes yeah at, at you know of color at the top of the list. So good point. I good think point. there's good I agree with you but I think there's good balance there and I don't feel yeah. like yeah. they've been replaced with just more white guys making music which is what right <laughs> in general <laughs> what the first list was really top heavy with. Good point. Um yeah. Well said. I retract my statement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think but you know some of those iconic artists and we saw it not just those artists, but like, you know, we talked about the Beatles uh, and the Stones. Yeah. Like we see a lot of those. Uh, Sergeant Peppers, I think, is a great example from one down to 24. You know, that's a big mm-hmm. jump, especially for the for a decade and a half, the best album of all time, according to Rolling Stone. Yep. So yep. we're seeing it, seeing a shift. <laughs> um, Indeed. What we got coming up next week there, Ben? Uh, next time we are uh, revisiting our old friends, the Beatles. Um, we're tackling an album that has dropped significantly um, by those white guys who make really good music, but um, <laughs> being nudged out of the way for a bit more diversity. Um, right. Rubber Soul comes in at this 35 spot. It was on number five. It was one of those That's top right. 10 yeah. uh, Beatles albums. So it'll be interesting right. to to have a really quick chat about, um, about why that might be. Yep. So, We hope you'll join us again next week for that review. And we hope you'll stick around for our previous review of Inner Visions coming up right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Ben and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And today we are discussing album number 24 on Rolling Stone's Top 500 list, which is Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder. We are really excited to have my friend... Carol Thomas Sissel with us, uh, Reverend CTC, as she goes by in our community. Um, she's an incredible peer and friend, someone who uh, really I admire for so many reasons, but first and foremost, because she lives out her faith each and every day. She's a, uh, a modern day prophet and she understands that uh, life is about a whole lot more um, than just 
acting righteously, but also about creating something better in your community, being that presence in the lives of, of the people that you're around. Um, Carol and I have lots of different things in common. Um, not only are we both ordained ministers, we're also uh, craft beer connoisseurs, um, music bands, people who want to work at different uh, social justice issues, and it's just an absolute privilege to have her as our guest on tonight's episode of the Sound Logic podcast. I don't know what I left out there, Carol. There's so much to you that I'm sure uh, I have forgotten. How do you introduce yourself to people these days if uh, if you meet someone? It's funny when you're um, not standing in, uh, behind a pulpit, you get a little <laughs> bit shy. Like I don't, I'm trying to think about my context. It's not inside of a church. Uh, what do I do? I tell them... People say, so who are you? What do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a grandmother and I'm a minister. Uh, and I think part of my call for ministries about not just talking the talk, but actually helping people walk their walk in a really yeah. just fundamental, we got to make the world a better place kind of way. Um, but that was a really good introduction. I'm going to listen to that recording so I can use it next time. <laughs> Thank you. It was very nice. Thank you very much. I can much. go around town and introduce you to people. Just oh. uh, <laughs> be your showman up front. <laughs> hey, let's arrange a date and time. We will make the rounds. Yeah. I feel really good about being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I love, yeah, I love music. It's our pleasure. Yeah. It's just, it's such a big part of our lives. And it's real easy to sort of sit it aside and forget about it. Yeah. And, you know, listen to the same 10 or 15 songs all the time. So this was good for me. Thank you. I mean, there's power in the way we make music a time capsule. But mm -hmm. you're right. Then it becomes frozen in some time, in some sense. It becomes frozen in time and we don't go off and uh, go go back and check things out the way that we probably should. Um, we knew we needed a guest for this album because Mike and I were both born after it came out. And uh, we... It, we, as we were going through this Sound Logic podcast, the very first question we ask is, had you ever listened to this album before embarking on this project? The answer is no for both of us. And so <laughs> when we have those wow. kinds of moments, we often think to ourselves, oh man, we need to get someone here to join us. Um, I'd reached out just asking sort of broadly if you had any interest in uh, any of the albums on the Rolling Stone greatest albums of all time and this is one that you said hey i'd love to be your guest for that one so maybe a start uh do you have any early memories of um hearing this album for the first time or your thoughts mm. about this this music as it was initially being released so what's what's kind of interesting is so i'm 20 years older than both of you and the album is 43 years old mm. so it was released in 73 i think and we're at 2019 so it's like it's been around a long time yeah um when it was released i was only 11 so i don't think i really know about when it first came out it probably was on in my house yeah. My parents might have played it, or my older brother. I have a brother six years older than me. So it's kind of like soundtrack music for part of my life. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. But by the time I got to high school is when I really was listening to it. So then when I was like a junior or a senior in high school, six, seven years after it came out, is okay. when I actually started putting it on repeat and, you know, mm. playing some of the songs over and over. Yeah. 
we were uh, born the year that Michael Jackson's Thriller came out, and we were we were remarking uh, back at that episode that it just felt like it was music that was always around, especially mm-hmm. in our early years. Like we have no memory of it coming out, but it sounds like this was sort of the the way Intervisions is for you, um, an album mm-hmm. that's just sort of always been, or or at least you don't really remember life without it so much. Uh, no, well, you know, I'd go a little farther. I don't remember life without Stevie Wonder. Mm. So Stevie Wonder used to be little Stevie Wonder. And he had songs like uh, Everything is All Right. And he had a song called Fingertips. And he was like this small black man with big black glasses that would dance and sing and was phenomenal. But he wasn't like making waves or doing social justice music or anything. So Stevie Wonder has been around for a long time for me. Yeah. Was So his um, earlier music didn't have, I mean, we'll get into this album later on. This album is a fairly loaded album in terms of the subject matter that it tackles. His earlier career uh-huh. did not contain that same sort of like progressive call to justice. No, think about, um, I don't, do you know what American Bandstand was? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Come on. I mean, I know it was a TV show. I don't really have okay. much context <laughs> for it beyond that. That's all I was so, going to say. Was, wasn't it a TV show? That's, yeah. I think, all I know about it. Yeah, so there was... Um, God, I'm so old. Um, <laughs> so Dick Clark had a show on, and that was American Bandstand. And then the black show that was kind of like it was Soul Train. Okay. Um, okay. But when Stevie Wonder first came out, he did the equivalent of American Bandstand with, like, dance songs. I mean, if you if you go back and you look at stuff like fingertips and other stuff where you see this guy just kind of standing in front of a microphone, not always by a piano, playing, and like there would be uh, white folks dancing in front of him. So he was really different in his younger years. But this this kind of music is what turned a corner for him and for black music. Um, and I think it changed the landscape for artists like it gave people permission to sing about what they felt about mm. what they felt mm. was important yeah man you guys are really young you were born <laughs> the same year that thriller came yeah, out sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's all right i'll get my geritol out i'll be fine <laughs> uh, well the other question that we ask ourselves when we begin uh this mm-hmm. process is um did we have any preconceived notions um Obviously, as as two people who weren't around when it came out, our our um, our ideas are often based on stereotypes. So, what I thought it was would be kind of soulful, piano driven '70s funk. Uh, and it, as I was listening through this this week, I remembered um, Stevie Wonder would appear on Sesame Street from time to time. Boy, Stevie, you know you really play good. You, you like play it? so good. Do you think you could teach me something? Hmm? Please, I got, please. I got, I got something just for you, girl. Oh yeah, oh good, just good. for you. Just oh, go for ahead, you. go ahead. Goes like this. Oh boy, oh okay. You got here, that? You okay, got here, here, me do it now. I'm oh. going to do it. Okay, here okay, we go. Okay, okay. We gotta try. It was almost right. Almost, put, not close, huh? Gotta put a little more feeling into it. Little more feeling. With the puppets, right? Talking about mm-hmm. playing the piano as a person who couldn't see, and I, it made me realize. Like I think, 
we were far enough from his, the pinnacle of his career that he'd almost become like bigger than pop culture, like just this thing that blends into the landscape. Um, and I think who he is almost became a caricature, uh, you know, the blind man playing piano. Um, so yeah. that we didn't really have to think all that critically about this artist or give him really the, the, um, what I'm now learning, the, the appreciation that he truly does deserve. Uh, what, what about you, Mike, as you think about weeks ago before you'd listened to this for the first time, what were your expectations like? Right. Well, first of all, I really resonate with what you said about him almost being a character, although that's sounds a little insensitive, but I think it's true. I knew who Stevie wonder was long before I really knew any of his mm, music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like the image of him and him being, well, he's, he's the blind man who can, who can amazingly play piano. And I remember, I think I knew that when I was a little yeah. kid, maybe it's because of Sesame street. So I've known who he was in a couple of the big hits. Um, I remember just before I pushed play on this for the first time, you know, maybe a couple months ago, my finger hovering over the button thinking, I don't know what this yeah. is going to be like, because one thing I do know about Stevie wonder is that his career is large and very diverse. So I was kind of like very excited. Here we go. I, I really didn't know what to expect because as I looked at some of the names of the tracks, I realized I only knew one of them and that's an exciting feeling because, well, this is going to be brand new. So I didn't know. I didn't know if it was going to be like, um, I just called to say, I love you or, you know, some of the other things I'd heard, I had no idea. And I didn't really know at the time where it fell in his, um, kind of album chronology, Uh you know, was it closer to the little Stevie stuff? Was it closer to some of the eighties stuff? I didn't really know. So I came into it almost totally blind, no pun intended. Um, that's, maybe that's a bad one. You can cut that one out. You can cut, I you can, that, out. Yeah. You can cut that one out. I didn't really mean to, to say it like that, although I did come into it not knowing what would happen. Well, he's um, iconic. Yeah. So, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And that might be a better word than um, a, a caricature is. Yes. You say Stevie Wonder and everybody has something in yeah. their mind's eye, whether mm-hmm. it's, and it's kind of chronological, right? So if you're older, it might be little Stevie Wonder that I talked about. If you came across him more later in the 70s into the 80s, it's the guy that had dreadlocks and yeah. beads in his hair or right. braids and beads. And he was more talking about almost like revolution and was singing that song Superstition and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So so he's like in the ether I think is right. what it is. Um, I, I do feel like it's funny. I always knew who Stevie Wonder was. Like I don't remember not having him somewhere in my musical soundtrack, um, except for recently. So like the last 10 years, not a lot of Stevie Wonder. So this was a really good way to sort of go backwards uh, and, and rediscover something that was amazing. How yeah. does this uh, album fit into your appreciation of his career, uh, Carol? Do you see it as sort of the... Is it a pinnacle album for you? Do you see it as like one of the ones that you want to return to or how's it, how's it blend into all that you know about him? Um, well, it really made me think about a timelessness for his music. So the things he was singing about on inner visions, uh, we're still struggling with them. Oh uh, yeah. And, you know, we're talking about, race and 
Now we got the opioid epidemic when what he was talking about was more heroin in the inner city Mm -hmm. on one of his songs. Mm -hmm. Um, And don't even start on political corruptness, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, we won't go into the whole Trump thing, but look at where we are now. And there's a song on this album that was about Nixon. Yep. So, yeah, so it's, it's this weird sort of, there's a timelessness to his music. All the stuff that bubbled up that was important enough for him to write these songs about, we're still struggling with mm-hmm. those same topics and those same um, same struggles, same hard stuff. And then, like, he throws a love song in. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so I can sing about So Cool Justice, but, hey, let me just give you guys a little heartbreak and a little bit of a love song. <laughs> uh, and I'll do a wedding, and they're playing Golden Lady. Yeah. So it really is timeless, you know, and that's people that's like y'all's age that are playing yeah. Golden Lady. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool that he's he really is iconic and timeless. Is is cool. Yeah. I it reminded me a lot of um, our initial run through of uh, Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On" because of the sort sure. of just broad spectrum of things that he tackles and uh, and like you said, just like you know, the, it, the issues could have been today. <laughs> we have not mm-hmm. done very much work since this came out to like resolve a lot of the stuff that he was uh, singing about in 1973. Yeah. Well, and we thought we had, right. Yeah. So there's this, this impression that we've really made great strides and, and I'm not saying nothing has changed, but there's just so much that hasn't, that mm-hmm. we're just still like fighting the fight on and, trying to make it through the day a lot of people mm. uh, with the same issues and problems yeah what about personal memories uh what does this bring up for you carol as you think about um those earlier memories so i was it's funny i'm i'm listening to this album and then all of a sudden it's over so it's like only nine songs mm-hmm. and 46 minutes or something <laughs> um but it's, it, there was a piece of it that was like memory lane i have this memory of myself like down in the basement playing this album and there's a song on it that's uh, called All Is Fair and it's like this classic kind of broken heart song you know and I just I know I know there was some guy when I was in high school that I was just like I can't believe it's over and it's not fair and, and he wrote this song uh, after he got divorced, you know, so it's like, yeah, well, all is fair, but people say they're going to stay in love and they're going to follow their vows and, and then they don't. Um, so it brought back to me like this this 16-year-old me probably in the basement feeling like, oh, man. Teenage angst. I just can't do Yeah, like somewhat teenage angst. It's like there was a guy or a boyfriend, there was a crush that went south, like... I'm sure there was, and I had Stevie in the background. Yeah, so that came up for me. Um, and there's the other one though that's um, uh, "Don't You Worry About a mm-hmm. Thing." That's like, let's just dance. And somehow he goes from that "All Is Fair" to just throws us right into "Don't Worry About a Thing." There's some Latin groove in the past. Yeah, and those are back to back on on the on the album. Yeah, like two things that are so far apart, but he's just like, okay, yeah, I'll just I'll just give you like a dance song now. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm glad you yeah. mentioned dancing around with uh, Don't You Worry About a Thing. Um, this again shows mm-hmm. maybe my ignorance and my age, but my uh, realization in going through this album is that my kids have been singing Don't You Worry About a Thing because it's a song on the soundtrack to one of their favorite movies, which is uh, an animated movie called Sing, which is about a, comp- a singing competition that a bunch of animals participate in. Uh, uh, kind yeah. of riding the American oh, Idol wave like... of <laughs> popularity. And uh, so one mm-hmm. of the final numbers is this uh, elephant singing, Don't You Worry About a Thing. And I actually remember going through them, through the soundtrack with them and saying like, okay, this song actually belongs to Taylor Swift or this is an Elton John track. And I didn't know who wrote Don't mm-hmm. You Worry About a Thing. And so we looked it up and discovered Stevie Wonder was the, the source of this. Mm-hmm. And, um so we've been dancing around the living room to that track for the last couple of years without even realizing uh, who was behind it. And I think that his version is actually much better than the one that is in the, the kids movie. But um, I would, I would <laughs> I'm glad so. to have discovered that. It's such a great movie, though. I mean, I remember it that. Is. It's got like the pigs are dancing uh-huh. and there's this woman who becomes like empowered and puts on like black lame and does yeah. this fabulous thing. And then all her children like come up and jump on her. All the kids. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Like yeah. this woman can do all the things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a cute little film, and uh, and I think mm-hmm. because of the range of music that they have included in it, it it's uh, it's a pretty good sort of like all ages fun time film mm-hmm. uh, because of all that they have pulled in. Uh, what about for you, Mike? Any yeah. um, any personal memories that came up as you listened to this album for the first time? Unfortunately, no. Uh, this again, a blank slate here. <laughs> um, there, there is, there is one, but I'll get to that later. Okay. But it's not really about this album. We'll save it. I think we are at the time where we need some details from you. Do you want to give us a few details about this album? Oh yeah, tell us. I would love to. <laughs> details, 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 details. I'm a stats guy. I'm a details guy. So uh-huh. this is my this is my special segment. You know, Ben's a, a an accomplished public speaker, and he likes to talk uh, <laughs> in the first part. So, so that I then I get my little spot where I could just <laughs> do some exposition here. Um, All right. Okay. Yeah. So, Inner Visions was released August third, nineteen seventy three. So, yeah, you're right, about 46 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm counting correctly, this is Stevie Wonder's 16th album. Um, yeah. And he started in, like, 62 or 64. So in Man, a decade, prolific. he's pumped out 16 <laughs> albums. It's just – and we've talked – Ben, we've talked about this before. In the 60s, people were pumping out one and two albums a year. Um, mm-hmm. And compared to today's standard where even if, if people even do full albums, because some of them don't anymore, because you can just release singles now or just put songs out into the ether and it can still be successful, you know, you might get a studio album for every four or five years. And that's acceptable and that's no problem. If someone releases two albums in, a, in two years, you know, an album mm-hmm. two years apart, that's yeah. fast. And back yeah. then they were doing like one or two every year. So here we oh, go. Yeah. Yeah. Stevie Wonder just pumping out tons of music. And I think that's part of some of the success of some of these artists. There was just so much music all the time. You couldn't escape it. 
but Stevie Wonder, of course, was was you know exceptional. Uh, and yeah, this is so. This is his sixteenth album. Um, he wrote all the music, so it's mm-hmm. all written by Stevie Wonder. Uh, it charted number four on the chart and number one on the R&B chart. So they kind of had two different charts going and this Uh went number one and in the UK, it went to number eight. So more successful in the U S it was certified gold. So that's uh, Ben remind me that's half a million. Uh, Depends on the country. It was certified gold in the UK and in Canada. And those numbers are much lower than in the United States. Um, I forget what the numbers are for each of them. It, it is oh, not, I think, you know what? It's not been certified in the United States. I think gold in Canada is 50,000, and in the U.S. it's 500,000, something yeah. like that. It's really different. Oh. Yeah, yeah I don't know why. That's a tenth of the because population. We're, yeah. Because we're, yeah, right, we're smaller, <laughs> so <laughs> there yeah. you go. Um, well, and you said he, he wrote all yeah. the songs, all nine. Yeah. But yes. he also played all the instruments for like six of them because this this album is heavily synthesizer based. Mm-hmm. And that was when you could be like a one man band in the studio. Right. So I, yeah. I read that somewhere that for like five or six, he was also the complete musician wow. package for these songs. Well, that's a really interesting point, Carol. I'm just flipping through here. You're right. Um, uh, Living for the City. Higher Ground, Jesus, Children of America. Uh, he he does everything, <laughs> and I was listening to um, I was listening even to the opening track, and you can't. It's all just the the Fender Rhodes and the other synthesizers. That's creating the bass sounds, some of the percussive sounds, everything. It's yep. all happening with Stevie, sometimes on different instruments, but like it's a soundscape created by the synthesizer, which took me a little while to pick up onto. Mm-hmm. That at first you just assume that there's a bass, an electric bass there, and a little guitar, and then you listen more closely, and he's doing all of it on the synthesizer, which would have been, I think, revolutionary for the for the music at that time. I mean, it's worth if you've got a minute, uh, podcast listeners. Uh, as you're going through this album, go to the Wikipedia page and take a look at the track listing, which shows uh, who played what. And his, like, he's credited as uh, vocalist, obviously. Uh, Fender Rhodes pa- piano, which um, Mike already pointed out, which is an uh, electric keyboard, essentially. Um, harmonica, drums, uh, uh, piano, like a regular kind of piano, another kind of synthesizer, clapping, uh, <laughs> like uh, so many different things um, uh, all over the map in terms of uh, the sounds that he's adding to this album. But it definitely is an album that feels like it was constructed in the studio. It doesn't feel like uh-huh. you know, stripped down to its bare minimum. It feels like uh, it was orchestrated by someone. Uh, yeah. Making it, it was and, totally and, orchestrated by him. Like you can tell, it's he laid it down mm-hmm. in layers, right, or yes. tracks, yes. and then built them up on top of each other. But that's him playing like all those different things, and yeah. then doing all the vocals, like, like harmonizing with himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and amazing. and really, you know, excellent production value. Like it's well produced. Um, and when I say that, what that means to me is that. 
nothing sounds out of place. It's not like I'm saying there's too too much here, too many instruments, or there's too little, or that's in the wrong spot. Everything sounds like it is where it's supposed to be, and there's a lot of thought and craft into that. And I think you're right, Carol. He was the one behind it, uh-huh. um, not you know just a producer, a bunch of other people. Um, yeah, just wonderful. Anyways, we're 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 diverting a little bit, but that's okay. We we're happy with that here. <laughs> that's what we that's what we do. <laughs> um, we'd like to go through a little of the history. Um, in Rolling Stone, when you know when they publish this list, they usually do a little blurb with it, and and they write this: it's high flying musical experimentation, and penetrating lyrical insight made Inner Visions a textured but never self indulgent work of soulful self discovery. Uh, so that's awesome. pretty wordy, but I mean, end of podcast. There's a you just go home. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but. But I think it's important, you know, as, you know, the basis of this of this show is kind of around this list, you know, that's how they describe it. And that's how I felt when I first turned it on and I first heard that first track. My mind was just exploding over and over with all the different things. And it's very, like, it's not subtle. Mm-hmm. it's not subtle yeah. it's not subtle at all like just the opening track and with all the vocals I was just my mouth just hit the floor like what is happening here yeah. this is crazy <laughs> and I was so excited but but it is it's high flying it's um, I don't know if I'd say it's never self-indulgent I mean I guess that's a fairly subjective way to describe something because that could mean something different for anybody but um <laughs> But that's what they say. Um, the there was one, two, three, four, four singles on this album: "Higher Ground," "Living for the City," "Don't You Worry About a Thing," and "Mr. Know It All." Were all singles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, this won Grammy Awards for Album of the Year and Best Engineered Non-Classical Recording in 1974. And Living for the City won the Grammy for Best R&B Song. So three Grammy Awards that year. Right. And then um, I don't know if you have any more memories about this, but you mentioned this earlier, Carol, that three days after this album came out, uh, Stevie Wonder was put into a four-day coma after uh, he was in a car accident. His car hit a logging truck. Do you have any other kind of insight into that? I don't have any memories of it, but I did some sleuthing. While I was getting ready for this, honestly. Uh, right. And it's, so he was on the road. He was in the front seat. Had to be the passenger because he's blind. Um, and somehow they tangled with a logging truck. And one of the logs actually came through the windshield. Wow. And hit him in the head. Whoa. So it, it really was a, an accident that could have taken his life, evidently. Yeah. And he was in a coma. And it's one of those stories... Um, that you could have a great movie scene from is he's in a coma and his face is swollen beyond recognition. And one of his guys from like the band or his manager or something evidently came into the hospital room and started drumming on the nightstand table and singing in his ear. And he picked up the rhythm with the hand that the guy was holding. And that's how they knew he was coming out of the coma. Like I, I really wish I could attribute that though. Cause I read that somewhere today. 
and I don't remember where I read it. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, people thought that he was going to die. Uh, and cause the album dropped right around the accident time, there was this feeling that it, it might've been his last mm. album. So mm. it, it really had a level of significance that I think was part of the accident yeah. piece. Wow. And I'm imagining going to that concert then, you know, the first shows he plays after that accident must've just felt miraculous, you know, getting to watch someone who you thought was about to die, uh, perform the music that had never been performed. Um, it gives me chills mm-hmm. just thinking about that. Mm-hmm. It would yeah. have to. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's this piece of his music. And I, this is off track for you guys' questions. Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, but here's the thing. So, so he's blind, but he's able to paint musical pictures where you can see the city. Yeah. And I just oh, yeah. was listening today. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I was thinking, especially on that, that living for the city song, like Stevie Wonder's never seen the city. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know wow. and, but yeah somehow like we see the policeman we hear the we see the guy in jail like the whole thing about the guy that comes across the street and is like hey hold this yeah. bag for me like all of that it plays out like yeah. a video and he's never seen any of that like i just kept <laughs> thinking about that with some of the other songs too is like so he really was a genius yeah. in all kinds of ways right He's able to draw mental pictures for us that we're people mm-hmm. with all of our senses aren't mm-hmm. able to actually draw. Uh, that's just, I know I went off on a tangent, I but that just it. kind of boggled me today when I was reading and thinking about it. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I always love talking about and I'm really excited to talk about for this album is the album cover artwork. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if of all the really cool album covers we've talked about is there one that describes in picture the album better than this oh um, good question uh, yeah i mean maybe sergeant peppers the just the like weird spectacle of sergeant peppers does give you a sense well, of like you're going to take us on a weird yeah. journey but this but, i think you're right even, there's something really interesting about this one okay well let's compare since you brought you started this <laughs> uh, um, oh, this is good. I like this. Okay. Uh, that is Sergeant Pepper's. It's so commercial because there's all these famous people, and you yeah. know, like it's it's so staged. This is very abstract, and mm, other yeah. than Stevie, you know, we can see him there. His uh, usually I describe it in words, and I don't even know if I'm going to attempt. I really suggest. <laughs> I really suggest that if you're listening to this, you, you really should just you know, look up an image of this. It's, it's a drawing or painting. It's a painting and um, it's very abstract. There's a lot of lines. There's a lot of long lines. And in the middle, it does say Stevie wonder inner visions. And it's got that, you know, you learn to draw this in like grade six art class where you put the lines behind it so that they're getting closer and closer. So it looks as though it's moving towards you that Ben, you're, oh, an, yeah, art, so ben, you're an art guy. Is there a, is there a name for that? Yeah. So in the art world, that's called the vanishing point. If I'm not mistaken, the point on the horizon where everything disappears. But that's, that's the concept there. And then we see a similar line. Uh, Stevie is at the left side, a drawing, a painting of him. And he's looking upwards out of a window. Um, his eyes are closed, but there's like a beam coming out of his eye mm. and it's going up towards the, 
towards the sky and it goes off the edge of the cover and then there's some it and the color is all yellows and browns and oranges um so it's a very interesting palette it reminds me of of uh of earth like dry earth i don't know if he's drawing on um on like a like an african landscape kind of thing um i know a lot of the artwork on the inside is is looks like um like traditional artwork Mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing i i can't really say what what type or from what country exactly because i'm not familiar with it but that's kind of the the feeling i get from it but it's very it feels like how i felt when i first started listening to it it's just kind <laughs> of out there and exciting and uh and it really draws me in i just find myself looking at it just wondering what it all means but really being uh have a sense of satisfaction and enjoyment, even though I don't totally understand that. I feel like that when I listen to some of the music, I don't understand all the music because it's very complex and it's, it's got a lot going on, but it doesn't trouble me. I'm not troubled that I don't understand it because I really enjoy mm. it. And it takes me to another place where I can kind of shut that. Um, I don't know about you, Ben or Carol. There's a part of my being where I'm always trying to, um, figure something out. I feel a little guilty if I haven't achieved, if I haven't performed. Um, we get that, you know, from our upbringing sometime or from our parents. Um, but. Like you're supposed to have all the answers, like yep, that kind of thing. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a firstborn. I'm a firstborn. Ben's a firstborn. Um, so, you know, you get some of this pressure and you carry that into your adult life. Like if I haven't figured it all out, I, I've failed. But when I listen to this, it all just disappears. I can just, doesn't go, matter, yeah. right? it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I can just enjoy it and turn that part of my brain off and go, I don't understand it, but I really like it and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And that's me tying together this artwork with the music. And I really, really think it pairs well. Uh, someone else needs to talk now because I'm just going off. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, yeah, it's interesting that you, you got um, so into it right away. <clears throat> we actually have a uh, quasi-art expert here with us. Carol has an extensive collection uh -oh. of indigenous art from the Pacific Northwest. Uh -huh. And I actually felt some of that in this picture, too. Maybe not the Northwest, but maybe the Southwest. Uh, there's like the sandstone, the... Um, more abstract vibes, uh, yeah. almost like sword spear points or something, arrowheads at the bottom. Um, it just feels, it feels rustic and uh, tribal maybe. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, it's really beautiful. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts, Carol? The first thing I thought was desert because mm -hmm. I see sand and it, what I think is mountains yeah. in the background. And then I was like, oh, not just desert. So it's like Southwestern desert. Um, and I know there was a part of him with the album before this one, Talking Book, where he was really looking into his African uh, heritage and ancestry. Uh, so so yeah. I think some of that might be pulled into here. Um, the shirt he's wearing maybe feels like mm -hmm. it's got some. Yeah, it's got some African um, sort of motifs and whatnot going on. Shapes, but yeah. It's funny, though. So I saw his face in the window. And like that sort of beam coming down, or is that beam like going out? Because his eyes are closed, mm. which makes sense because he's blind. <laughs> um, 
But I thought, yeah. so what, are we getting, like, to see his inner vision? And then I just decided, yeah. you have no idea what this means. <laughs> but that's the first, that's the first moment where the title has suddenly clicked for me, though. I, I had, when you started talking about he's painting musical uh, landscapes for us, even though he can't uh -huh. see, I was like, oh, that's the inner vision that we are, there you go. <laughs> that we are getting that's to endure great. here, this album. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah, but um yeah, it's pretty remarkable that this idea that is it he is. is he giving us his vision or is he receiving a vision? And yeah. it's funny what you said earlier though, when you were like, but it was okay not to know. Um I'm not an oldest child, I'm a youngest child. And <laughs> I'm a youngest, I have two older brothers. But I think that shows up for me in that I'm perfectly happy not to know. Hmm. The, that's <laughs> to have the magic and the mystery and it's unexplainable but it's awesome you know that's yeah. fine with me i am completely good with it i say that to people about religion a lot is you know when they question how can you be a, a unitarian universalist minister like well, you take everybody and i'm like yeah we do don't we that's amazing and somehow we all come oh. into the same room and figure out how to be together with all these different beliefs that's awesome that's that's kind of what this makes me think about. It's yeah. like, I don't have to understand this picture at all. And that's okay. Yeah. Cause the music carries you. Yeah. But so now I've oh, said man. too many words, I think. <laughs> I like this album even more now. Oh, boy. okay. Um, <laughs> now you got to listen to it again. Oh, right. Exactly. No problem. <laughs> um, I, I'm really thinking about the beam going out or coming in i think it could go either mm -hmm. way but i imagine it i first imagine it going out because light light spreads as it travels and it's spreading mm. it's spreading away from him so i imagine it's going out and that's um maybe i'm reading into it too much but that's him again sharing his vision with us it's shooting out from him um and and then we get to partake in a piece of that by listening to the music yeah i like that did you um there's a little square on his shirt and it looks like a tiny red cross or an arrow is it pointing the same direction of that beam or maybe it's just a part of the pattern i don't know it does look like a cross i thought that that would be kind of interesting if it was that was just tucked in there i mean it's really there there is there's a track called you know jesus children of america so it's not really a a secret or like some of the religious leanings there, but mm -hmm. um, I thought that would be kind of neat. Yeah. I think that red thing is a cross because he has deep religious um, upbringing and backgrounds. Like Stevie mm. started singing in church, like okay. many African-American black or black artists did is his foundational music was church music, okay. hymns and gospel songs and yeah. Playing every Sunday for all day services, that kind of thing. Yeah. Huh. I'm pretty sure that's a cross. Cool. Cover illustration for this album was done by Ephraim Wolf, who produced artwork for many albums in the 1970s. And the the artist blurb is is imagining Stevie as an oracle. Oh, uh, okay. Dis despite his despite Ooh. his blindness, he can see the problems of the world. Um so uh, yeah, I, we were getting to some of that, I guess, as we were mm -hmm. rolling through there. Well, as you can tell, we've got a lot to say about this. Um, 
why don't we put a pause on this for now and we will invite you all to join us for part two of this conversation, which will be released tomorrow. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Do you want to give us the track by track here this time, Mike? Or how are you feeling for. Yeah, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, especially when there's so few. Like when we did like Robert Johnson complete recordings, there was like 40 tracks. I didn't read them all, but <laughs> since. <laughs> Since there's only nine, and I have a feeling we're we're gonna talk about a lot of them, so I'll list them out here. So side one has uh, too high. Visions, I guess visions is sort of the title track in a sense. Living for the city. Golden lady. And then side two starts with higher ground. Jesus, children of America. All in love is fair. Don't you worry about a thing. And closing with, he's Mr. Know-It-All. Boy, oh boy. That's uh, <laughs> so many directions that, to go. <laughs> you know, not every time we talk about an album, but there are some albums we've talked about where it could almost be a greatest hits album. Just every track is so recognizable and so heavy hitting that it's just like, if you didn't know, you'd think it could be a greatest hits. And I think this is one of them that although they weren't all like big singles, they're all really, really well done. Yeah. I don't find myself wanting to skip any of these tracks. The one song that I feel like maybe doesn't always feel like it fits real well is visions because it just has a sort of, uh, I don't know, darker and more mysterious tone. Uh, and it's not as high paced as some of the others on it. That's the the track that I'm, I'm still trying to struggle with where it fits in this. It's interesting that you said it might be the title track, Mike, because I think it, it, you know, one of these things are not like the others. If you play that game, it's the one that I think almost feels like it's from another recording session or another era or something like that. Yeah, even as I say that, I recognize that the the pace of the songs does bounce around a lot and the, the content of the songs changes very frequently. And there's a lot of moving parts on this. Carol, do you have a counter argument there? <laughs> um, do I have a counter argument? <laughs>
You you can say no. Don't don't let me bully you. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I don't have a counter argument. I just kind of go back to. It's pretty amazing that we have all this talent and variety in nine tracks. Yeah. Right? Yes. But the idea that he's—I mean, we know he's—he's he's a musical genius, or I feel that way. We know he's super talented, but the, fer- the ferociousness and like living for the city mm-hmm. and higher ground the way it comes out mm-hmm. that driving like funk and beat and storytelling and and then he like bops over to golden lady where yeah. people dance and that as their first song at weddings mm-hmm. like that that sort of that amazing talent and moving back and forth in, in such a broad way of looking and, yeah. and sounding at, at the world and through music that that takes me uh it sits me back to think about that and then add that he was blind yeah. on top of it and that they all fit yeah. together they're different and yet they go mm-hmm. together in a package like that is really interesting i found myself wondering if he decided the order of the songs because i feel like he he hits us really hard and then he gives us a break mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, too high is about drugs. Visions is kind of gentle, but it's gloomy and sad. And then we got Living for the City, which is actually kind of upbeat. The music is driving and funky and really rhythmic. And then he smooths it out with Golden Lady. Yeah. Like the, whoever laid this out thought about who's going to, how you would hear it. It's like a sermon. And, it's like a well-constructed, <laughs> like leading his actually, audience along. You're right. <laughs> You're right. He does. He leads them all along. Yeah. I think it definitely tells a narr. It's a narrative. I find mm-hmm. it tells a story, and I like what you said about you know, too high is obviously about about drugs, but visions is like the the come down. Yeah. Um, you know, there's after a high, there's always a there's a crash, and there's a crash exactly for sure. And I think visions is like that, and a lot of people and. You know, I can't speak from personal experience, but a lot of people then take that time and look inside um, and examine what's going on. And that, I think, is what that song is about. Just kind of looking, looking in and trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and then he just he slams us yep. on Living for the City. Yes. Like, he told us about being high and the, the, the downfall from being high or how you're not high, right? Yeah. And then he's like, so, and this is what happens in the city with drugs right. this is what, this is how it's ruining people's lives mm-hmm. this poor farm boy gets off a bus or whatever and all of a sudden they're throwing him in a cell and they're calling him a nigger and yeah. he's going away for 10 years because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time with drugs like yeah and it's yeah. it's like a, a zoom out on the um the system the systemic power too right like it's not just about mm-hmm. stay away from drugs kids it's like this is how this is how the system is set up to entrap and ensnare even the most innocent of us uh, mm-hmm. yeah well and 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 would it be fair to say that it's the most innocent of young black males is it specifically targeting kind of saying this is what's happening to that group or is it kind of more general than that or is he is he really saying like hey this is this is what's going on it's like marvin Gaye's what's going on this song living for the city is about a young black male that comes to the big city and immediately goes ends up in custody wrong place wrong time because of drugs 
and how it just like blows his life up right is, is what happens um, but it's totally like the, the urban inner city landscape and it's tied to the plight of young black men right yeah um, and you know it's it's um it's sad and it's disheartening but it's it's real and it's I, i'm i don't know what i don't want to say i don't want to say happy i'm i'm thankful that he exposes that just as marvin gay did in what's going on he that that part that story's being told um and that's being exposed there for people to to hear it mm-hmm. and 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 i guess well, he, carol this he lays it out i mean there's there's that line in this song what does it say um a boy is born in a hard time mississippi surrounded by four walls ain't so pretty and then he talks about his dad you know his dad works these 14 hours a day he can't find another job it's like a, a haystack and a needle um and he, he rolls just right out of his mouth with this rhythm and you want to yeah. dance to it but he says a job is like a haystack needle because where he's at they don't use colored people mm-hmm. and we're, and you're like dancing and bopping along <laughs> and it's like damn yeah that wait a minute he really he's painting a picture again, i think right? that's uh like. that upbeat early part of the song even though he's talking about difficult uh stuff early on it makes the um the city noise and the police sirens and the aggressive like uh is it cop voice or jailer voice all that stuff just feels far more serious mm-hmm. and gripping when you've been coming off of that like boppy intro um we were talking about the way the album flows up and down from song to song this whole song is like seven minutes of intense storytelling uh even the way he changes he changes the inflection yep. of his voice to be sort of more chiseled and hardened uh near the end of the song is like it's he's weaving this uh again he's weaving this image for the listener uh, throughout the whole thing, it's so yep. amazing. I, I'm guilty of dancing with my kids to this, and, and then like pausing and like, "Oh man, what are we popping around the living room to?" But it is it right. Is what so am I dancing fun. to with my child? Yeah. With where he's talking about there's no jobs for colored such a people, fun, right? Uh, yeah. Just track uh, lyrics aside, and it just becomes such an important song once you slow down enough to pay attention to what he's saying. Well, and if so I, sometimes I get a little bit jaded and part of what happens with this song for me is after you listen to it a few times is, well, he wanted to make sure people mm-hmm. heard his message. Yeah. So he commercialized it. Really like it's is. a listenable song. And it gets stuck in your head too. Yeah. And so I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an earworm song, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're all sitting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a boy is born in hard time mississippi like it's it's in your head and you're thinking yeah. it over and over and over and dancing and it's like damn and then he goes to jail oh <laughs> yeah and they call him names yeah. Yeah. oh yeah he, so he was a he was absolutely a businessman and a commercial artist too there's no doubt he's really intelligent about the business side of music um, that's probably why he's still around yeah yeah. Know, he's smart enough to ride the crest to know what was listenable uh, to hold on to his audience and that, that producing these albums like some two a year that, that's smart business it's pretty amazing and probably yeah. allowed him to speak more prophetically when um, he was able to weave these messages into 
music that the studios thought would sell. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this tragic story about Motown and sort of as it becomes more uh, political and more uh, pointed about the racism in the country that sort of, sort of gets bought out and shut down. Um, you know, like uh, the white buying public doesn't want to be thinking about tough issues as they're <laughs> consuming their music. Um, somehow he's right. able to do both, right? Like he's able to, to, to put out chart topping music while continually giving a message. And maybe you gotta write a few love ballads that are gonna be sung at weddings in order for the album to go uh, into someone's home who needs to hear the stories of the other tracks. Um, yeah, it's, it just feels really wise to me. He was commercially successful and creatively brilliant and managed to weave those together so he got to put out the yeah. music he felt his soul needed to put out. And, right. and that didn't happen for most artists. I mean, if you listen to what pop music is, and this was considered pop music when it came out, R&B and pop. Yeah, so he was pretty brilliant. So what's your favorite song on the album? I'll be the interviewer now. <laughs> well, I think Mike said earlier that, you know, pushing play that first time and two highs, uh, you know, we use Wall of Sound a little bit here as we go through these albums because it was... Um, you know, in vogue in the 60s and 70s, but there's just so much going on with that. I think I texted Mike before I was even done with that first track and was like, have you checked out Inner Visions yet? There is something here that is <laughs> unbelievable and I don't even know how to describe it. Um, that, like, mm-hmm. it was just such a strong hook right away. Um, that one is easily, uh, you know, the, the track that I think uh, pulled me in. Living for the City is the one where I realized, yeah. oh man, something serious is happening here. <laughs> and, and then yeah. getting to Higher Ground kind of halfway through, which is a very familiar song, uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's where this comes from. And that's a great song too. Um, my favorite track might be the final one. Uh, and I love that it's a sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, reference to Reagan. Oh, he's Mr. Know-it-all? Yeah, uh-huh. I, I just think that's brilliant. And I, I think it needs to become an anthem for the Trump era too, because it's so fitting for him as well. Like this, the guy who, who uh, you know, kind of marches around the room like he knows everything and fails miserably the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. We got to bring it back somehow. <laughs> Come out with a... Well, he wrote, the, yeah, he wrote this song about Nixon. Yeah, oh, not Reagan, Mi- Nixon. Yeah, I misspoke so, there. <laughs> yeah, about Nixon, yeah. No, you're showing your age. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got to bring it back. He's got to come out with the uh, 2020 election version of uh, He's Mr. Nora. Uh, <laughs> I just play this one. Re-release that's right. That's right. Yeah. I think I think the, the most meaningful song, of course, is Living for the City, without a yeah. doubt. It's got the storytelling. It's got that arc. It's driving. It's musical. Like all those things. Yeah. But it, the one that that grabs me over and over is higher ground because mm-hmm. somehow like it's this it's a call to action you got to keep on learning because people are dying in the streets you got to stop sleeping and wake up and it's just full of funk and more funk and it's like groovalicious uh-huh. <laughs> you know it's the idea that you can have a call to action that you want to dance yeah. to <laughs> it's that just blows my mind. And I just really like the song. 
Well, and it, it strikes me, even though it is very funky, it strikes me as being very timeless because it's still being used. Um, I don't really mm-hmm. watch the NBA all that much, but because our hometown Toronto Raptors were in the NBA Finals, I was watching a lot during this most recent playoff season. And it was like it was like their hype video before the, the finals began was higher ground oh, with like wow. mixed with all these um, images of kids playing basketball mm-hmm. on the street, you know, intermixed with NBA players dunking the ball and stuff. And I was like, this is fascinating. A song from 1973 is being played 40 something years later to like hype people up for wow. the basketball finals. Um, it's really amazing that that song has just that. like had oh. this lasting power. I'll have to go back and find some of those because mm-hmm. I I didn't watch a, a ton of the finals and uh, that that sounds great. Like, <laughs> 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 it's hard for me to pick a favorite track. I think definitely Too High was the one that caught my attention. So initially after the first few run-throughs that was probably one of my favorites. Um, Higher Ground is still probably mm-hmm. my favorite but sometimes it's hard to know if it's my favorite because it's the most familiar. Like I already, it was the only one I already knew and uh, I really, really enjoy it. And it's a lot of fun. Um, Golden Lady. Mm-hmm. I have woke up in the morning probably a dozen times in the last few months with that song <laughs> playing on repeat. Um, actually in the, I couldn't find out who it was from, but um in the car, I listen to a lot of jazz, like just the jazz radio station that's in our area. And I heard a, I heard an instrumental cover of Golden Lady, and it was, even without the lyrics, it was really, really good. And I, I haven't been able to find who it was by, but um, that has been stuck. And that, um, I don't know if it's because there's a lot of key changes in that song, because he does keep, he keeps going up, especially at the end. Even in the outro, he goes up another key, mm-hmm. and. Some songs, um, to me, sound like they're um, spinning. Um, just the way the chords and, mm-hmm. and the notes go sounds like it's going in a circle. Um, and Golden Lady is just... It sounds like it's revolving. Um, and I don't know if that just makes it more catchy to me, but I think Golden Lady is one that, if it's not one of my favorites, it definitely gets stuck in my head all the time. Um I think those are the ones that that jump out, but they're all very good. And the thing is about it that we've talked about already is they're so different. Some of them, it's like, well, yeah. I like this song, yeah. but these two other songs are really similar. Um, so, you know, that just represents these three songs on the album. But I can't say that really about any of these because they're <laughs> all so unique that it does fit well as a package, but they're also different. I think... Just in terms of tempo, sometimes mm-hmm. visions and all is fair in love, I find kind of they're connected just because they're the songs that kind of bring you back down in terms of uh, energy. Um, and those are the only ones I sometimes felt like I was trying to skip. I don't know if there's times that I just want a faster song. And I think sometimes the slower songs you know we have to be in the right mood for them or we have to process them differently mm-hmm. uh and a lot of times especially i don't know about your life but in my life i'm you almost feel guilty if you slow down 
Like you got to keep moving. Like you got stuff. You got to get this work done. You got to do these chores and you got to, you got to do this stuff. So I want high energy music. (laughs) You know, a lot of the times when I listen to these songs, I'm at work um, and I've got a little, you know, I work in a warehouse, so I'm, I'm a manager. So I'm doing a lot of stuff outside of my office. But if I have a few hours where I'm having to work on something administratively, you know, I go to Spotify and put on one of the next albums that we're going to listen to. So that's where I do a lot of my listening. Mm. Um, And then I'm kind of skipping, you know, uh, this one, the tempo's too slow. I need, I I need, I need to get hyped here because I got a lot of work to do. So (laughs) maybe that's just a product of the environment I'm listening to it in. Mm. No, I think that's a product of our environment and um, particularly Western society or U.S. culture, actually more specifically, is we are programmed and reprogrammed that doing more, working harder, you know, leaping mm. off tall mm-hmm. buildings is what you're supposed to do. So you you need music or, or you mm-hmm. need more coffee or something yep. just to keep up at this point. Um, and we've we've gotten ourselves into what I think is we backed ourselves into a corner that says it's normal to live at that mm. pace that's not a sustainable pace um, so to actually say I'm just going to chill out and listen to jazz or I'm taking ministers Monday <laughs> and all I'm doing is listen to Stevie Wonder today is it's, it's countercultural. It, you know, right? like it's, you yeah. guys are laughing, oh, but it's frowned yeah. upon. It's countercultural. Right? I'm not laughing at all. It's, it's countercultural. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. No, I, it, it was so good for me. I got to tell you this to do this today and just to let Stevie Wonder capture my entire day while I was kind of puttering around and I did some laundry, but I had a couple of friends call me and they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's ministers. What do you think I'm doing? I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> and they were like, no, we know you're Carol, you're writing or you're like researching for a sermon or something. And I said, nah, you know what? Nice. I'm listening to Stevie That's wonder. Awesome. And ah. right now I'm just grooving along <laughs> and I'm trying not to be upset about Mr. <laughs> Know-it-all and the inner visions <laughs> part. And like, you know, and I'm and living for the city because this don't you worry about a thing. Yep. It's got me just rolling along. Yeah, yeah. but and they were like, really? Yeah. You're just <laughs> listening to music. You're not producing anything. <laughs> yeah, and there's a touch of that like, mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not producing anything. Yeah. You're not researching or writing yeah. or have you called your daughter today? It's like, no, I did not. I listened to Stevie Wonder and that's awesome. That was enough for it's, today. It's a yeah. sad reality. That's my rant on what we No, do. you're yeah. you're absolutely right. It's a sad reality that it our our leisure time or our relaxing time or unwinding time or whatever you want to call it, it has to be intentional now. You have to mm-hmm. program that, which is kind of ironic, but you have to. And I so many times uh I meet with my uh, my mom and my stepdad who live close to us and, and they're they're wonderful people and uh, my stepdad has said, you know, I hope you have time to sit down and just turn your jazz on and just relax and just listen to that. You get to do that, right? And a lot of times I go, mm. well, n- no, like I can't. Or, and I mean, that's not saying I, I'm physically restrained from doing it. That's me, the product of my culture saying I, I can't, I got to keep, I mm-hmm. got to do this. And And I know that in the environment I work a lot of times, again, this is me imposing it on myself, but I feel guilty when I haven't been productive. Well, I work for someone who, 
you know, says, well, I'm busy all the time and I do this and this and I'm successful in this and I've done that. And in the evenings, I, you know, I go and I do this and I'm always doing stuff. And I start feeling guilty that I've taken half an hour for myself to try and unwind when we burn out, right. when we don't do that. And I'm learning that. And I think both of you are expressing you're learning this too. You have to, you have to try and do it. And if you don't, you will suffer the consequences. And isn't it funny that <laughs> Mr. Stevie Wonder is kind of weaving that into the, the album here, the ups and downs and taking that time, obviously mm-hmm. not his intention, but we can, we yeah. can find that in here. The pace that the pace of our lives is just not sustainable. No. And we have convinced ourselves and society is telling us and beating up on us that we're not doing enough every second of every minute of every day. And I don't, I don't know how we're going to be able to break that cycle unless we just become extremely intentional about self-care, whatever that mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And, and, and stop pushing each other so hard to like leap off tall buildings. Like just go take a walk. <laughs> You know, play well, with your kids. Future generations yeah. have a tendency to either be even worse versions or totally react and be completely better versions. So <laughs> we'll okay. just cross our fingers that our children and their children like turn the corner somehow. And <laughs> and well, uh, hopefully we can be humble in the ways that we have. Uh, maybe that's not right. Always you just got to keep yeah. your. Yeah, you got to keep your kids dancing in the living room to right. sing. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. That's it. I, I was really reminded, especially when we're talking through all the different types of issues, uh, social issues that Stevie Wonder is tackling. It really reminds me of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. And Ben and I, when we reviewed that album, we talked about what a task it was for Marvin Gaye to tackle so many different issues and that people were telling him, you can't, you you can't talk about that many different issues on it's one It's going to be career suicide, right. right? They were sort of saying like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I don't know what the conversation was, but basically said, well, screw you. I'm doing it anyways. Uh, <laughs> these things that we got to talk about them. And I'm feeling the same sort of thing, especially when I immerse myself in the lyrics more. And as we've talked about, you know, you're bopping along to uh, living for the city and then you listen more and go, Oh man, this is, this is a pretty heavy song. Um, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm blown away and also impressed and, and I admire how many issues he tackles on this one album. And it's very much, uh, it's a real, I wouldn't call it a protest album, but it's a very social album and, uh, very, a very political album in that sense. I think it's really, really political and it's very, it's close to radical. I mean, th- the idea that this amazing musician, at tw- he was 23 years old in 73, I think. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's, and that's like you start. So I'm doing the research for this and I'm thinking, wait a minute. So 73. Wow. I, how old yeah, was right. he? And I looked back. Wow. Yeah. I don't remember <laughs> when he was born. But I have it in front of me. But yeah, so he's 23 years old. This album is 46 years old now. It's still relevant. It's telling us things we need to know. It's lifting up society's ills. 
it's it's pretty amazing he took that risk and that it was so well received. Yeah. Man. So I just amazing. I'm trying to think about my twenty my twenty three year old self. <laughs> like <laughs> like uh, I don't know, I I, I couldn't even refill the toilet paper roll at 23, you know, like, <laughs> and he's, and he's, you know, so prophetic and all this stuff. Yeah. He was, he had written talking book. He did this album. Uh, after this, not, I don't know, three or four years, he did the secret life of plants, which was also like revolutionary in a totally different kind of musical sound. Um, yeah. He was changing the musical landscape mm-hmm. at 23. In so many ways. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, that's phenomenal that he was able to do that and pull it together so successfully. Yeah. We, uh, we don't talk a whole lot about the way that this list was compiled, but a lot of these albums are up here because they influenced other people. And I I mean, I think what you're talking about with the, uh, the way he changed music, um, I think it's when I hear, when I hear some of the funk mixed with prophetic words, I think about some of the bands that we were really into in high school, like uh, Rage Against the Machine or even Red Hot Chili Peppers, who who tried to mix uh, funky sounds with kind of alternative rock and a prophetic voice. And I think like, you know, a lot of that wouldn't be possible without pioneers like Stevie Wonder um, changing what is possible uh, with recorded music. Um, it also makes me wonder if he was ever able to like how it sounded to perform these songs live. Cause there is so much studio layering. Um, if he just got, you know, 20 yeah. people to be on keyboards and <laughs> played along with them or, uh, yeah, it must've been something else to, to watch this sort of thing live. I've seen him live Ooh. twice. Oh. We want to hear about that. Yeah, I'm really old. Just kind of yeah, slide I'm that old. in there. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, but I saw him later okay. in his career. So I saw him at like the equivalent okay. of the Bryce Jordan Center. So it wasn't intimate or small. Um, it wasn't just him on a synthesizer. Like he had a full band. Right. He had a huge grand piano, like in the middle of the stage. Um, I remember thinking he was—he was somewhat like Wayne Newton, like he was—he okay. was a little bit canned. It was very well planned, um, and I don't remember these songs feeling that with the level of intimacy that hmm. they feel on the album. So they were—they were, they were yes. big productions, and part of uh, like the the living for the city, like it would have. The, there was probably a long like musical drum like riffs in the yeah. middle of it and that kind of stuff allowing the art the other musicians to show off a little bit it definitely hmm. wasn't as tight as as a studio album can be um and it's funny i think what sticks out for me i'm thinking about when i saw him it probably was in the 90s um what was most intimate were the songs when he was able to just be at the piano hmm. Um, so you are the sunshine of my life. Like that's not on this album, but that song, or there's a song he wrote. I can't remember what it's called. It's about his daughter. Oh, yeah. oh isn't she lovely? Yes. Yeah. So those were like the intimate. I love parts that, of that idea concert, though, that like blowing something up him. to like stadium level, you actually lose some of the soul and 
you know, he coming back down to just mm-hmm. him and the piano is when you really recapture that. Um, even though there's a lot of production value on this album, maybe there is something about how it is performed live that it translates better to an artist at a piano uh, to really capture the spirit rather than trying to just make it as big as possible. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think if you think about people who were influenced by him, and I don't know if this is true, but it, oh, I yeah. think about Billy Joel, who's another like a yeah. guy at a piano right. um, and was doing that in huge stadiums in yeah. Madison Square Garden and whatnot and would sell out show after show after show. Is it he had that kind of intimacy for parts of the concert, but the rest was just like big and loud. Yeah. Carol, one of the things that I've been doing, which has been an exciting part of my musical journey through this is that I've recently gotten into um, vinyl and I bought a record player and I'm starting to build up a collection and a lot of it is centering around some of these albums. So um, I borrowed uh, intervisions from a f- one of my friend's parents. Um, so I, some of the first few times I got to listen to this was on vinyl, which has been really exciting. It sounds so good. And I feel like I'm getting to hear it as people who would have originally purchased it would have heard it, um, mm-hmm. you know, on that same format. And um, to <laughs> actually the same friend who took me to his parents' place to get these records, he came over to listen to some of them. He said, um, you know, and I had it hooked up to an old kind of boom, like a nineties boom box. And I hooked it up there because I don't have a, you know, a receiver and a big stereo system. Uh, he says, uh, you know, I think I can help you out. I got one in my basement that I'm not using. And the next day he comes over with like this five piece surround system, <laughs> with these huge towers and a subwoofer and all this. And he goes there, that's going to, oh, wow. that's going to sound a lot better for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Uh, thanks again to Rob Jones for that. And so now, you know, in the last few days, I've been able to put on Intervisions with like five point surround sound <laughs> um, and listen to that. And it's, it just sounds so good. And all the, because the synthesizers are really, really um, intricate, you know, and there's uh-huh. a lot of different sounds and to kind of stand in the middle of that literally um and have that kind of wall of sound, especially on Too High. I know we talked about this a lot, but Too High just just smacks you right upside the head um, when it comes on. And there's and it, it's such a unique sound. And the, the way that... Um, one thing that's really hard to do with a piano is um, when you slide from one note to the next without... When you tie two notes together, you put that line... It's a tie. Instead of, instead of da, da, you have da... So he... So... So you can't do that on a piano. You can't blend one note to the next because it's that hammer is hitting two different strings. But you can on a synthesizer, and especially some of them that have that little that wheel on the side where you can you can uh, bend the note. So that whole opening part of too high. He's he's tying those notes all together, which is such a different sound because until until we had synthesizer you couldn't do that on on a piano um so this is a brand new sound and it sounds so different and i think in so many other recordings you would hear an electric bass or a stand-up bass do that because you can on a string instrument because you can slide your finger from one fret to the other but you can't do that on a piano so 
um, to hear that. Now I'm, I'm now I'm the one on a tangent. Um, to hear to hear that in that original format has been really exciting, um, and it sounds so big. But it's been for me. It's I'm going backwards, like because I started with you know CDs and the the digital stuff, and now I'm I'm taking a step backwards the other way, which has been uh, really neat. So, anyways, that's. I think that's all I got for sound. <laughs> no, that was that was actually really cool because you're right. It's like yeah. that term bending the sound. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he was so prolific at the piano. We, you can't do that on the piano. So this whole thing he did with the synthesizers, that's part of the way he changed how music was made mm-hmm. after this album. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of magical. You're right because he was sliding mm-hmm. the music. Right. And, and and bending it and arcing it and <laughs> yeah I wouldn't it makes me want to listen to too high again it well and I think at first it sounds there's it took me one or two listens to figure that out because it just sounds so different right away and it's like what is that you just assume it's a bass guitar it, yeah I did I yeah. thought it, I didn't think it was a keyboard and I listened to it again I did too and same with higher ground. Higher ground is all keyboard. It sounds like a bass, um, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's all keyboards. It's it's really exciting and very innovative, and I just love it. And it's all him. So yep. it's it's him on the yep. on the keyboard, the synthesizer. I think there's harmonica in there at some point. Oh, I was I was uh, listening to an explanation of this on the jazz station the other day because he's playing what's called a chromatic harmonica and uh if you could google that too because it's a harmonica with all these (laughs) it's all these little um appendages on it that you can uh again bend the notes and play every note because most harmonicas like a blues harmonica they're in specific keys so you have a harmonica in c and you can only play songs in c and you may have seen i don't know if you've ever been to a show where a blues guy has his harmonicas he's got a whole case because he needs a different one for each song but if you can play the chromatic harmonica like steve wonder can um (laughs) you can you because in too high there's a solo at the end and that's chromatic harmonica and he's playing that because you're playing all you can play all the notes so it's very popular it's very popular uh, for people who play harmonica in jazz settings because they change keys and use so many of the sharps and flats in that music, uh, they can't use a traditional um, blues harmonica. They have to use a chromatic harmonica. And on top of that, you can, again, you can tie the notes together. You can bend them. So that's where you get that special sound. And it does sound like he's playing a synthesizer again, but uh, that's mm-hmm. him on the chromatic harmonica. So hmm. there you go. Chromatic harmonica. Yeah, oh, go- wow. Google that. <laughs> I am harmonic. <laughs> See, he wasn't just yes, he, yes, he was. Still is. <laughs> still is. That's right. Not past tense. Still, still is. is. That's right. He's still with us. That's right. Yeah. Well, that and that's. I, I don't blame you for saying that because a lot of the artists we've talked about ha- have passed on, but Stevie is Stevie's mm-hmm. still with us. So mm-hmm. that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, and you guys should keep your, your ear to the ground about Stevie because um, this is a total side note. Um, he's been really sick. He's going to have to have a, oh, a wow. kidney transplant. Oh, no. um, and he was supposed to do another a big tour late summer into this fall, and he had to cancel it. Oh, shoot. Um, 
because he's because he's going to have a transplant. And I don't know if it's happened yet or not. I haven't been paying attention. Um, but yeah, it's it's a life changing thing to have a transplant. So his music could change again. He's been really sick for several years. If he gets the transplant and it's successful, if he got re-energized, I mean, think what might happen. Yeah. And he's not um, he's not as old as some of the artists that we've talked about from this era because he he was so young when he started. So he's only now uh, he'll be seventy next year. Mm-hmm. So he's mm-hmm. not. No, he's, he's not, not quite. He's not ancient. Gosh, no! If he's if he's ancient, I'm almost dead. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> at, least, at least one foot in the grave. I mean, if you yeah. Anyway, no, no, uh, he's uh, he's he's not old. No, uh, he's by a young man. Mm. Absolutely. So, I, I guess we are at that point now, um, or we do ask this question. You know, is this is the album still relevant? And there's a lot of different. We talk about a lot of different things. We talk about music. We talk about lyrics. We talk about instrumentation. Um. But in general, I don't, I don't know. There's a few different ways we could tackle it. But why don't we start with you, Carol? In general, or even on a specific subject, is this still relevant? Oh, it's it's beyond relevant if there's such a thing. I mean, just musically and technically, the idea that he created these nine songs, on six of them he plays like all the instruments and does the vocals. <laughs> Um, that he was 23 years old when he did it, and that the themes he was able to pull together, and he really enticed us to listen to these this hard stuff, it's still happening. So it's absolutely yeah. relevant. I mean, and I don't want to sound repetitive, but we're, we've got the opioid crisis now. We're still worried about drugs. Uh, we've yeah. got political stuff going on that's ridiculous behavior. And we don't know what we're going to do to solve it or how we're going to get out of that problem. And that must be how people felt about Nixon and the whole Watergate thing. It's no president had ever behaved that way before. Lied to public, yeah. lied to Congress. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's hmm. it's relevant and it's it's meaningful. Um, and he does that classic thing also that a musician of his caliber does is he like he throws in a love song. And he just yeah. like reminds us about, it's almost like a country and Western song. The one that's all about heartbreak and that I said I was crying in my basement, you know? And <laughs> so, yeah, it's from all is fair to living for the city to don't worry about a thing. It's, there are pieces of this album that are so relevant now uh, mm. and it stands the test of time. It's 46 years old. <laughs> that's 40. amazing. Yeah, it is. It's my, one of my sort of uh, litmus tests for this question is when I have it on around our house, if my family tells me to turn it off, then I think it's probably not very relevant anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's been amazing to watch the reactions. Like my, <clears throat> I've caught my spouse uh, humming along or singing along to a couple of the tracks and my kids you know, want to, want to dance when the more upbeat songs come on. And I think that's the thing that's stuck in my head right now. And I think about its timelessness. Uh, it's absolutely still relevant uh, from a 
production quality, but but just the sound that he's producing. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. your words, Carol, make my heart break a little. That it it shouldn't still be timeless in terms of the issues that it's tackling, right? We should have solved all those things in the last 43 years or whatever it's been, um, 46. Uh, so, so that, that part's kind of heartbreaking, yeah. but it absolutely for me is still, still relevant. Uh, what about you, Mike? I think the lyrical themes are perhaps more relevant than the music. And I don't mean to say that the music's not relevant, but in terms of what we've just talked about, these uh, political issues and social issues, they're, they're all still happening. And some of them had sort of disappeared and have come back. Um, not disappeared, but kind of, I think, very specifically when we talk about Mr. Know-it-all and the behavior of a president, yeah, that's kind of come back and it hadn't for a while. Um, maybe not in that kind of overt way. So right. I think that the lyrics are are relevant. The, some of the instrumentation, like you don't hear a chromatic harm, harmonica in pop music today. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, much to my chagrin. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that, that gets into this next part, right? Like the sound, yeah. does, does it sound dated? There are some times I think where even just the, the funky style of it, it's not um, necessarily something you'd hear on the radio right now. Although there are elements, well, I think, of, of the production value that you definitely would hear in popular yeah. music right now. And and so many times we talk about these two things uh, about it being relevant and being dated and they do they tie in together and as much as you know even the 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 jazzy um vocal harmonies in too high the first track like that is very like you'll never hear that on top 40 today. Um yeah. that's very very jazzy and and a little bit out of place. However, um you know, when I listen to his vocal stylings in general on this album, and then I listen to some of the popular young male, you know, pop and R&B vocalists today, I, I hear the same things. Like mm-hmm. they're doing the same tech, they're using the same techniques, creating the same sounds. And as much as some of the instrumentation maybe is dated, other parts of it have aged very, very well. Um, and I think in general, I would say it it has aged well and is not dated. At least the the hits and the main parts of the hits are not dated at all. Hmm. How about you, Carol? What, what do you think, um, Carol? Musically, I don't know. I think my age is going to show up here, so it doesn't feel dated to me. It feels. It does feel. I guess it does feel dated. It's a little bit like a trip down memory lane. So mm-hmm. listening to it, it made me aware that I, I, I always knew who Stevie Wonder was. He was always in our house someplace, um, whether it was right. little Stevie Wonder and that sort of American bandstand thing, or it was this more politically aware Stevie Wonder. But it, it was captured in a time. I think you're right. It was, it was of a time, both of those versions of Stevie Wonder. Um, mm-hmm. So the themes resonate and the themes are, are coming back and the lyrics make perfect sense today. But some of the music though is, is trapped in a bubble a little bit. Yeah. And we've talked um, about it where sometimes something can be dated and that's becomes negative 
Um, but other times something can be dated and it's like you said, it's really positive because it takes you back to that place and you know, exactly the, you know, exactly the decade or the time that it falls in, but that's not necessarily a negative thing. It could be very positive, but there's other times that you go, Oh man, you know, that is so 1992, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, and that, you know, and that, and that becomes a negative thing. But in this case, if it is dated, it's not negative at all. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. the, the next question, I guess, fits in with that a little bit. Um, the sort of origin story for this podcast is we thought, uh, why don't we call it Sound Logic and ask the question at the end of each episode Was it Sound Logic for Rolling Stone to have the album at this particular spot in their ranking? Um, they have this ranked as the 24th best album of all time. Uh, how do we feel? Does that feel appropriate? Or do we think it needs to be higher or lower? Higher. <laughs> Definitely higher. higher. <laughs> yeah. It needs to be moved up to higher ground. Absolutely. Um, it's it, it, wow. lyrically like what we were just saying, but it also, um, it's, it's a piece of genius music. I mean, if you roll all those elements together, that he was 23, that he was fearless, like all the things we already said, I, mean, I would put it a little higher. I don't know how mm. much higher though. But. Yeah. Uh, well, as kind of a, something that we've talked about that I think is similar in some ways, Marvin Gaye's what's going on with came in at number six. Mm. Uh, would you put it kind of up in that I don't know, what? kind of area? And, mm. you know, we've talked just before you answer that, we've talked about some issues with this list, you know, and some problems and it was kind of a numerical system where they had a lot of people put in their answers and then they tabulated how it worked. For example, you know, Michael Jackson's thriller comes in at number 20 and Ben and I were unanimous that that should have been way higher, like top, top five in terms of sales, in terms of relevance, in terms of how it changed music, in terms of hits, everything. It, it, it it's the biggest selling album of all time, but there's 19 more that, that were better that were greater, greater? It, yeah. it didn't quite make uh. sense yeah so uh so you know i think uh just you know there we see there's issues with this list but anyways you know uh would you have it kind of up in that i i think i would give it like the top 10 so what number is it at right now 24 24 mm, i might i think i might have to put it up to like 12 i don't know if i'd put it in the top 10 because i can't think of what those top 10 are but i'm just imagining there's like <laughs> You know, there's there's it's Rolling a bunch Stones of Beatles and a few uh, Dylan albums. <laughs> Dylan, Rolling Stones, Beatles, yeah. yeah. It might not be in the top That's ten, a, but I might yeah. give it a, a twelve or a thirteen instead. What yeah. I find myself thinking right right at this point is like, what is it about this album that means it does not get into the conversation with those albums? I I actually I think from a pure enjoyment level, uh, might place this in my top five. And I don't know why. Um, I, I, I want, and I guess I'm wondering if it's the <laughs> ongoing racism in a in a, a culture that continues to push uh, pinnacle black artists down a list and white groups up to the top. Um, I don't. I don't think there's anything in this album that I think feels flawed. Uh, it didn't sell as well as some of the other albums, but there's albums much higher than it that sold less copies. Um, uh -huh. yes. It's 
held up well over time. It still has tracks that are played on the radio today. It's um, so I, yeah, I, I think this position is far too low. I'm just now trying to think about how I'm going to mash it into my personal top 10 um, on this. Uh, <laughs> at the end of every 10 albums, we do a personal re-ranking. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I think it's too low and I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend some more time with that thought, I guess, to think, you know, what is it about the Beatles that make them safe choices for, you know, for the top 10 albums, whereas an album like this that I think is just as musically good and perhaps more socially pointed um, is all the way down here at 24. Um, yeah. But anyway, I'm going to give it I'm some more thought. I, yeah, I think it needs more thought. The piece I was I was wondering is, in the list, do they take into account like the the number of covers that oh. are done of some of the songs? I think they so, they just basically asked people to rank their top albums, and they mm. they averaged out all those totals. So it was subjective to the user. You know, if you were yeah, given a list, yeah. you could you could make it up as you went along. Um, but the ones that gotcha. got the most votes moved to the top of the pile. Um, it would be interesting to look through the um, gender, race, age of the people who were on that initial. Um, well, and who was doing the choosing, right? Who, who the selectors yeah, exactly. were? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them were musical professionals, uh, best-selling artists. Um, and so there's a lot of albums on this list that are, there for influential build, uh, reasons. Uh, Velvet Underground is one that, that we return to quite often as a example of an a album that didn't really do all that well, um, but you know, it launched the careers of a whole bunch of other bands mm-hmm. and everyone seems to point back to it as like this pivotal thing, seminal moment for their band. So um, it gets bumped up higher, but I, you know, I would, I'm probably never gonna put that album back on uh, I'm definitely going to listen to this album probably in the next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I just want to listen to it more. Um, so I think it should be higher than than something that's there just purely for seminal reasons. Which I'm I'm sleuthing while we talk, and I'm looking. So yeah. uh, Higher Ground has been covered by everybody from Etta James to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, yeah. Michael McDonald, and the the Blind Boys of Alabama. Oh man, yeah. that'd be an interesting rendition. Wow. Yeah, and those are all in the 2000s. So like, the Blind Boys was in 2002. Eddie James was 2011. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's kind of that's back. That's like 89. But yeah. so it's got staying power among other musicians yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I think I'm in line with you there, Carol. I think they uh, missed this mm-hmm. by about 10. I put it up. I no, I think I put it up to about yeah. You said 12, I'll say 14, just rounded off 10. I think they're, at least in terms of listening enjoyment, I could pretty quickly find 10 albums that I would want to listen to this album before yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yep. Definitely yeah, definitely, higher. Definitely higher. higher. Yeah. <laughs> higher. At least higher one more. For at me. least one higher. Um, Something that Mike, uh, something that Mike initiated a few weeks ago, is uh, it's great that you pointed out the covers there, uh, Carol. What are there any uh, songs on this album that have a favorite cover um, done by a different group or band or individual? You mentioned four of them right there, all for the same track. 
Um, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers rendition of Higher Ground was one on my list. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, that Etta James version of Higher Ground just kind of, I love Etta James, though. It's, it's good? Yeah, it's really good. She's got some, she's got some gravel going on in her voice when she <laughs> sings it. That's just real deep soul music, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Interesting. What about you, Mike? Uh, 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 I'm going to have to check out that Etta James. She is a, a vocalist who kind of, mm-hmm. you know, definitely well known, but sort of lived in the shadow of some of the really, really big, you know, Aretha Franklin, Ella Fitzgerald, but she is so good and, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times underrated um, in terms of her ability. Um, just awesome. Uh, I think the first time I heard Higher Ground was the Red Hot Chili Peppers version, you know, back when I was younger, before I knew that it was a Stevie Wonder song. And, you know, I I do like that band a lot, and I love that we talked that the the synthesizer that he's playing on that song sounds like a bass guitar. So that song starts off with Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers playing that line on on slap bass, (laughs) uh, which is really cool. Um, And so I I really, really enjoyed that. um, And I think that's my favorite. I mentioned I heard a a jazz cover of Golden Lady, Uh which translates really well. uh, But Higher Ground is my choice by the Chili Peppers. I should uh, make another shout out here to the movie Sing, and maybe we need to devote a whole episode in the future to... uh, all the covers on that album, but um, it's a fun movie. <laughs> Maybe I could get my kids on as guest hosts for that, that time. Uh, Carol, any uh, other tracks that come to mind when you're thinking about people you've covered? Um, tracks from I'm trying to think there was another one. So I was listening. What was it? Oh, like Vanguard Jazz. It, I think it's the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and it was just, it was so different. Like, I had been listening to the album with the voices and everything, and then I went to look for, like, instrumental versions, and that one kind of stood out. Um, But mostly the, I just, I love Etta James. So, when I heard her singing Higher Ground, and she's got that whole, keep on burning. Like, she's just got that voice that's really perfect (laughs) for this song. I like that. But I would would tell people, yeah. I would tell people to check out the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra one, just to hear a really different way of it being done. Any other any other comments? Closing comments? Uh, when you're done with this one, listen to Talking Book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah Ben, you got to check it out. I was saying before we got started, uh, I'm I'm a little nervous. I like this album so much. I'm I'm afraid that I might be disappointed if I go in any other direction, <laughs> which is the wrong no, posture just, to have. Just I should just go it. start at the beginning and listen to Little Stevie and listen to everything. Check out Check um, Out Talking yeah, Book. You'll really I'm like excited. it. I'm excited. Yeah, I think you'll like it. I'll, um, I'll have to give it a whirl. We really appreciate you putting up with us for that long, Carol. Um, hopefully it's been good and restful on your uh, Pastor Monday. <laughs> it, it has made Ministers oh. Monday uh, a, a new, uh, taking it in a new direction. That's what I want oh. to say. So, the, I, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I, maybe this is just my clergy uh, role, too. But I feel like this is sacred space when we're, when we're talking about stuff like this, when we're getting into real life issues and we're talking about mm-hmm. art. I think it's just, 
it is just uh, really a gift and and having your perspective has been that as well so um, we are really grateful and we owe you uh, for your time and your and your presence here with us tonight thank you very much I feel I want to say ditto I appreciate you guys including me I've just I really have enjoyed it um, and it feels like a gift actually it is a gift it doesn't feel like one this has been a gift to me is to to have a reason to listen to Stevie yeah. again but also to get to talk about it with both of you who obviously care about music so much that's that's a real gift so oh, thank you thank you for oh, having that's, me that's really that's really, really meaningful thanks Carol and it, it's been a pleasure it's been great to meet meet you and have a conversation with you all at the same time <laughs> terrific <laughs> absolutely uh, so when does Stevie Wonder show up oh. next on this list? I should oh, already yeah. be aware. Yeah, of you this. usually throw in a question. We're almost done, and you make me open up another document. <laughs> <laughs> so there are three more Stevie Wonder albums on this list. Um, Songs in the Key of Life uh, is number fifty-seven. Mm. So that's not that's only like a year away. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll have to have you back, girl. And that's got oh, the. Uh, that's got. Um, isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? Isn't that's, she lovely? Uh, isn't yeah. she lovely? On that? And then talking yeah. book that has your sunshine in my life. That's number ninety, and then one more number two eighty five. Music of my mind. So he's got four in the yeah. top five hundred. Right. We want to thank everyone, of course, for listening, and a special thank you to our wonderful guests. Carol, thank you so much for joining us, and it has been great to spend this time with you. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We hope that you uh, would consider joining us for the next uh, um, Stevie Wonder album, which comes up a little later, but it would be great to talk to you again about that one too. That would be great, and I'll put my eye on that list and see if there's anything else that stands out. Perfect. Absolutely. Great. Uh, we hope that you'll all join us again on the Sound Logic podcast next week when we discuss album number 25 on the top 500 list, which is Live at the Apollo by James Brown. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our Sound Logic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.